that, let's pray. <laughs> oh God in heaven, Lord, we do praise you and thank you this day. Lord, we rejoice at the thought of you, sovereign king. Lord, that you are in heaven on your throne, that you are beholding what you have made. Lord, that you rejoice in all your works. And God, that you have a perfect plan. We do praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you do indeed hold the whole world in your hands. And that, God, you're bringing this creation that you have made to an expected end. And, oh, Lord, how we look to that day, that day of rejoicing, when sin will be completely put under your feet. And, God, nothing will harm on all your holy mountain. Oh, Lord, we look eagerly to that day. Oh, Lord, today as we look into your word, we pray that you would show us beautiful things from your law. Lord, as we look into your truth in the Old Testament, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and, God, ears to hear. And I pray, dear God, that you would uh, help us this morning in our endeavor to understand your kingdom and your power. And yours is the glory because of Jesus' cross. Amen. Okie doke. All right, so then. Um, can you hit that button? Yeah, thanks. Okay. As we get started this morning, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week we began uh, the series talking about the Savior the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, in the first section of this class outline, we're going to be talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And as we've begun talking about Jesus, what we have said is that in our mind, we need to have a biblical view of the Savior. We need to understand Jesus through the lens of the Bible. We cannot hope to try to define him with our own human understanding. He certainly is not a God of our own making. He is who he is. Amen? And he's revealed in the Bible, and he's revealed through his life, which is recorded for us in the Bible. And so, as we think about Jesus Christ, we need to think about him in biblical terms. Is that a little too loud back there? We okay? Okay, we need to think about him in biblical terms. So when we think about Christ, our thoughts need to be thoughts that come to us because God has revealed those thoughts to us about Christ in the Bible. And so what we're saying is, is that Jesus Christ is found in the Bible and it's in the narrative of the Bible that we come to know who he is. Not, not just who he was to be, as we're looking right now in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is, has the promised Messiah, and the Old Testament is pointing forward to what would happen when he would come, but we also look to the Bible to see who he was, because he came, and he lived in the flesh, and he was revealed as a person in the flesh. God had came down from heaven and became a man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen? And so then we have the New Testament accounts of who Christ was. 
So all in all, we look together and we see the Old Testament looking forward and promising who the Messiah would be and what he would do. And then we have the New Testament, which is a record of the fulfillment of those things. Now, of course, we realize that there are yet prophecies unfulfilled. Prophecies in the Old Testament and prophecies in the New Testament, yet unfulfilled about the Christ. Because we know that he has a twofold ministry. He has a ministry as a suffering servant, which we refer to as the condescension or the humility and the humanity of Christ. But he also has another portion of his ministry, which is that of a conquering king. And this will be fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus Christ, which has yet to take place here in time and space. Yet it has been written and promised in the word of God for us. Amen? So we're still looking for that future fulfillment of the second part of Christ's ministry, which is that of a conquering king. We look eagerly to that day when he will come and take the kingdom by force and establish it here upon the earth. Well, um, so what we're saying then, uh, as we seek to understand who Christ is in his person, we need to have a biblical view of who Christ is. And so, if you will, we need to see the Bible as a unified whole, Old and New Testaments revealing Christ to us. We can't just consider the Old Testament as something that's been fulfilled and no longer relevant. The Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. And it's just as much the Word of God as the New Testament is. It's just that in the Old Testament, many of these things are veiled. There were a mystery that has now been revealed to us in Christ. And Christ has come and explained them to us. So we gain and we gather many details still from the Old Testament as we learn and grow in our knowledge of Christ. It's important, though, that that knowledge be a biblical knowledge. And so one of the things I was trying to tell you last week is that what we find then in the Bible is a unified message, Old and New Testaments, that's laid out for us, and that in the narrative of those Old and New Testaments, the focal point of the entire Bible is Jesus Christ himself. The volume of the book is written to reveal him. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Listen, I know this is going to disappoint you, but the universe doesn't revolve around you. Amen? Amen? In fact, it does revolve around Jesus Christ. Even so, the scripture says that he is the one that upholds everything by the word of his power. That he literally sustains the heavens and the earth by his own word. That he upholds all things. That because of Christ and his providence that he exercises, the earth does not return to the dust. That your bodies are sustained another day, that you have another breath, all happens by the providence of the person of Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Amen. And, of course, we looked at some of that last week. So, as, as we get going here in our understanding, our biblical understanding of who Christ is, I want to take you away from earth for just a little while so that you can think about these things from God's perspective and not from your own human perspective. Because what we have in the Bible is a revelation from God, a revelation from God from eternity, from outside of earth. And when God thinks about his world, he doesn't think about his world like we think about his world. You understand? We're, we're in the boat and we're on the sea and the wind and the waves are rocking the boat 
and we are frightened. You understand? But Jesus is the one who wakes up from his slumber and says, Peace, be still, and even the wind and the waves obey him. Amen? And so, you know, when Jesus looks at his world, listen, he's got it all under control. Amen? And furthermore, it's all happening according to plan. It's all happening according to the way he planned it to be. Amen? And this we were talking about last week and pointing to this and calling this the plan of redemption. Uh, so, if you will, we, we uh, on page two there, there's a little um, diagram at the bottom of the page. It says God's plan of redemption. God's plan of redemption. And uh, I want you to consider for a moment that when God thinks about Christ, when God the Father, for instance, thinks about Christ, God the Son, and who he is and what he does, he has an omniscient perspective. In other words, he knows everything. He knows the whole record of history from before uh, he ever created the world until all of time and space has found its fulfillment and its consummation. It's all in the mind of God in one simple thought. Okay? That's what we mean by omniscience. God knows everything. He knows everything eternally, and he knows it in one simple thought. It's not even a thought for God. It's an ever-present reality in his mind. That is the whole course of history. Okay? So as you think about when God thinks about his world and when God thinks about the events that have happened in Scripture, he sees it as a unified whole. He sees it as a plan that he has laid out from all eternity that he's bringing to pass by his providence in time and space. Are you with me? So that when God thinks about history, family, it's just all one simple thought in his mind. He understands it all. Now look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's look at verse 18. And there it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with Precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now, who is Christ? Hearing in these scriptures, look at verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Now, you see how the Bible portrays Christ? Listen, it says this thing about Christ. That we were redeemed by him, right? With his precious blood, right? We were redeemed with Christ's precious blood. But listen to what the scripture says in verse 20. He was foreknown from the foundation of the world. Now think about that. Here I've, I've drawn kind of a timeline of history, which is what you see on that chart. And here you have the creation of the world, and some would argue maybe even of time right here in this spot. 
Okay? And through the narrative of history in the creation, all these things are coming to pass. And God is working out this plan. And what is it a plan to do? It's a plan to redeem. It's a plan to redeem by blood. The blood of who? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, on the cross. You see, God has a plan of redemption that He's working out in history. What we have recorded in the Bible is a narrative of that happening in time and space. It's a supernatural revelation from God of what God is doing in the world. Listen, family, you want to know why you're here? You want to know what the existence of mankind is on the world? Listen, it's because God created man and put him here so that he could fall into sin, so that he could be redeemed from that sin by this tremendous thing that God has done on the cross at Calvary. It's God's plan of redemption. That's why the world exists, okay, primarily. And that is, if you will, for the revelation of the glory of God, as we have talked about so many times. But I want, you, I want to take you even further back, out of earth, up into heaven where God is, as you think about this narrative of history. It says there in verse 20 that he was foreknown from the foundation of the world. It says before the foundation of the world. So now we're thinking, when he says before, he's talking about before the foundation or the creation of the world. Christ was foreknown up here. And I'm just going to kind of use this as a picture of God in his heaven. Okay? And this is a triune God. Okay? And if you will, I, I gave you this chart here that shows the covenant of redemption. Would you pull that out? I want to talk to you about this for just a minute. When you think about the world and you think about God working out his plan of redemption, I want you to go with me in the text of Scripture where it says that Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Let's think for a minute. What is there? What is there before the foundation of the world? And I would like to suggest to you that nothing is there but God. God is there eternally rejoicing in all the glory of his majesty and beauty throughout all the ages of eternity past, which has always been. Okay? There never was a time when God was not there rejoicing in the beauty of his own majesty and joy. Okay? He was always there. And he always had this plan. You see, his, his omniscience, God's omniscience is eternal. His knowledge about what he would do in time and space always dwelt in his mind. When? Before the foundation of the world. Okay? And here's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rejoicing in eternity in thinking about what he would do in this time and space. And he thinks about it in one simple thought. It's just the knowledge of God of time and space. It's the knowledge of God of redemption. You understand? This is what omniscience means. God not only knows these things, he planned them and decreed that they should come to pass. Amen? You remember last year's lesson? We went through that in great detail. 
So, so that what's happening when God thinks about these things, they are in a fixed order. <laughs> Jesus Christ died on that cross from before the foundation of the world. Okay? And if you will, that's how we come to this understanding of the covenant of redemption. Okay? Now, just this is a real simple overview of this. Okay? But just think with me. If, if here in eternity past is dwelling God... <coughs> Up in his glorious heaven. And there he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In their inner Trinitarian relationship, rejoicing together forever. Right? And he's, he knows this whole plan from first to last. Consider how each member of the Godhead has played a role in this plan of redemption. Right? The Father planned it and decreed it. Right? The Son came, he became a man, he condescended and, and became a man and lived a perfect life and was crucified and was killed at the hands of godless men and the Son was put to death on this cross. Let me tell you, the Son knew that intimately from before the creation of the world. That's what First Peter 1 says to us. Therefore, consider that in the divine mind, that God the Father and God the Son have agreed and obliged this plan from before the creation of the world. You with me? And if you will, that agreement is what we call the covenant of redemption. Okay, well you say, well I don't see that in the Bible. Well, I just explained it to you. Okay, it's really simple. God knows these things from before the foundation of the world. Who is God? He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all the persons of the Godhead are playing a role in this plan of redemption. The Father planned it and decreed it. The Son purchased it. And what's happening now in this church age? In this church age right here, right? Redemption is being applied, right? By the Holy Spirit. We call that regeneration. Amen? We know what that is too, don't we? Well, okay then. So what we're saying is, is that in the divine mind, in eternity past, all these events are one. They are the one unified purpose of God which he's bringing to pass in the creation. Okay, that's why this can never fail, family. God in his mighty providence is overseeing this thing, that it shall come to pass every jot and tittle like he decreed from the beginning. Amen? Amen? You with me? That's why your salvation is sure. Listen, God's going to bring it to pass. Amen? So I want you to think about this. As you think about who Christ is, and as you think about how he's revealed in the narrative of the Bible, and as you think about all the events that have taken place that are all going to culminate and consummate at the end of the ages, okay, think about it like God thinks about it. It's a fixed order. It's a plan. It's a unified plan that's coming to pass just like God has revealed it in the scripture. You with me? And we need to be, begin to think about the world from God's perspective, from a heavenly perspective. Okay? And that way, when the wind and the waves begin to blow us a little bit, we're going to find some rest. We're going to be like Jesus, sleeping in the boat. Instead of like the disciples, with our knees knocking together, wondering if we're going to survive the night. You with me? 
we're going to enter the rest of faith and trust in the sovereignty of God. Amen? And we're going to see the Savior as the one who has come and who has saved, has calmed our hearts, has given us hope. Amen? Listen, we're not without hope, and our hope shall never fail because Christ is going to bring it to pass. Amen? Okay, so then, as we look in the Bible and we find Jesus Christ to be the focal point, okay, of everything that the Scripture is revealing, we need to think about it in terms of the fact that God is a sovereign, exalted king who is in majesty working this thing out by his mighty providence, okay? This is a fixed order of events that is going to come to pass just like God planned it, just like he's prophesied it for hundreds and thousands of years, okay? And every bit of the plan is coming together with precision, okay? And family, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're a good part of that plan, okay? If you're in Christ Jesus, you have good hope. You have eternal life in Christ. You have all the benefits that have been afforded to you by the precious blood of Christ given at at Calvary. Amen? And, of course, we're going to talk about those at length and in detail this year. But I'm wanting you to, to, to consider these things from heaven. Consider them from God's point of view. Therefore, when you think about now how God has written the Bible, and let's go back to the Old Testament now, because this portion of the lesson here, we're talking about Christ as revealed in the Old Testament. And there he was, if you will, uh, when, when the Old Testament was written, Christ wasn't alive. Christ had not lived yet. Okay, He wasn't alive in the sense of, of, of his humanity on earth. He had not become a man in time and space. Okay, It might shock you to find out that God the Son actually eternally existed in glory in heaven forever before he became a man on earth. That's why the Bible says he came down out of heaven, right? And we'll, we're going to talk about that at length, the pre-existence of Christ or the subsistence of Christ. But the point is that in the Old Testament, in time and space, he had not become a man. And so he was to God's people a promise, a promised deliverer, a promised what? Redeemer, one who would come and would save Okay, save God's people out of their oppression and, 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 and save them out of the oppression of sin, ultimately. But so then, as you think about the narrative of the Old Testament, okay, bear these things in mind, okay, so that when you're reading through the narrative of the Old Testament, you're doing it with this tremendous knowledge of what God is doing in, in the world. Okay, and how all of that now has been revealed to us in Christ. If, I'm going to help you, if you will, to look at some of that. Okay, so when we think about Jesus Christ the Savior, we must understand that he is not just some Galilean peasant in history who did some good things and had some wise teachings, but rather he is God, very God, embodied as a man, accomplishing the primary work of the eternal plans of God, which were made before the creation of the world. You follow me? And that's what 1 Peter 1, 18-20 says. It says that Christ was a lamb 
who redeemed us with his blood from before the foundation of the world. Amen? Okay, so when we begin to look through the narrative of the Old Testament, we need to see Christ as that focal point of the narrative of the Old Testament. Okay? The, the, the Old Testament is there written about Christ. It reveals Christ to us. So as you're reading through these Levitical laws and you're scratching your head and you think, my God, how long can these things go on for? Right? Or, or, or whatever you might think when you read through Leviticus. <laughs> Sometimes I fall asleep. Right? But listen, every letter of the book is there written about Christ, and it is there written revealing Christ to us. He is all through the Old Testament. He's all over the Old Testament. He's on every page of Scripture. Okay, It's all there speaking about Christ. He's the central focus of human history. He's the central focus of everything that happens in all of creation. It's that cross on Calvary. Namely, the one who is hanging there, Jesus the Christ. He is the focus of everything that God has done. In fact, he is God himself hanging on that cross. Those are amazing things. Amen? But as you read the Bible, you need to see Christ there. Amen? Point well taken, I'm sure. So, Christ, the Messiah, is promised in the Old Testament. As we go through the narrative of the Old Testament, we see this redemptive history showing up in many places. Now, remember, I was telling you that the narrative of the Bible is a historical record, which is the history of redemption. You with me? It's the history of what God is doing in Christ. That's why the the Old Testament takes the route it takes. I don't know if you ever gave a lot of thought to that. But think about who is revealed in the narrative of the Old Testament, right? You open up in Genesis and you begin to read there and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? And then it goes on through the days of creation and God creates man and God creates woman and then the fall of man happens, right? And then right, just right on through the narrative of the Old Testament, there is a storyline that's written following a family, Did you ever notice that? And that that family is tracing the very genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the way down through the narrative of the Old Testament. And then when the New Testament shows up, guess what? He's here. Right? Well, this this is that redemptive history. Okay? Um, it, it is, in fact, the Old Testament is, in fact, a record of how God has worked out the plan of redemption down through the ages of history, tracing the genealogy of the Savior all the way from Adam to Christ. And I would show you that it, the very genealogy itself is listed in the Scripture. Did you know that? And I've got it written for you there. Genesis 5, 1 Chronicles uh, chapters 1 through 9, and then uh, Matthew opens up with the genealogy, okay? And so think back in your mind through the narrative of the Old Testament. What's happening? It is a storyline of the line, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's who it's following, 
right? You may think, well, it's about Israel. Well, why is it about Israel? Because he's the promised Messiah who was to come through the seed of Abraham, right? You with me? Who becomes Israel. Israel happens to be that line through Abraham's progeny that Christ comes, right? And he's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic blessing and the Abrahamic covenant. You with me? Okay. Well, so then, the Old Testament is this tracing of the genealogy of the Savior all the way from Adam to Christ. Now, um, the Old Testament, listen to me here. The Old Testament is filled with types and shadows and specific messianic prophecies of the Christ, of Christ the Messiah. Now, how many of you are you familiar with types and shadows? You know what I mean when I'm saying that? Okay. Looks like most people have a grasp on that. I'm just going to talk about it just for a minute. If you will, in the narrative of the story of the Old Testament, there are these themes and there are these ideas that are inherent in the story that point to these greater realities of who Christ is and what he would do. Are you with me? Let me give you an example, a bright, shiny example from the Old Testament, right? Okay, you're familiar with Abraham, right? He's a guy in Genesis, starts in Genesis 12, and his story ends somewhere in Genesis, I think, 24, 23, 24. But if you will, Abraham, uh, God comes to Abraham and he tests Abraham. He's, this is what he says to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, to a place I'll show you. And there I want you to sacrifice him. Familiar with that? Right? Well, you know, in the greater, larger picture of this whole thing that's happening in redemptive history, is there a little storyline here about a father sacrificing a son? You with me? Okay. So if you will, Abraham's experience being tested by God in Genesis chapter 22 is a type or a shadow or a foreshadowing of this great thing that God is doing in creation. Okay, We call that a type or a shadow. And the reason we call it a type is, the, the bigger term is, typical prophecy. It's, and we don't mean typical by normal. We mean typical by representing. It, we, maybe we should say typical. It's a typical prophecy. In other words... It's, it's a prophecy of events that will come in the future, but it's a type of that. It's, it's a theme in the narrative that's pointing to that. Okay, now, now, the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with this, is chock full of these types, these shadows, these foreshadowings, these prophecies of Christ, okay? They're types and they're shadows, and they come in various ways in various forms, and sometimes they'll just show a little bit of the Savior in his work. And sometimes they sure show more comprehensive details. And, you know, what one story may emphasize about the person work of Christ in the Old Testament as a type and a shadow, another story may emphasize a completely different part of who he is. Okay? And, and so it's just something to understand about the Old Testament. It's filled with these types and these shadows and, and even very specific messianic prophecies. So the Old Testament may come right out and say something about Christ, okay? And, and which we'll look at this morning here. So if you will, types and shadows, they're, 
They're foreshadows, okay? And uh, the Old Testament is filled with types and shadows and specific messianic prophecies of Christ the Messiah. We see types, typical prophecies or shadows of the Messiah in different stories in the Old Testament which reveal different aspects of the gospel or the coming Messiah's ministry. There are also many specific messianic prophecies of the Christ and his ministry in the Old Testament. According to the Old Testament, the coming Messiah would. And if you look at the bottom of page 3 there, there's a list of very specific messianic prophecies that are given in the Old Testament which talk about Christ the Messiah. So the Old Testament is saying, the Messiah is going to come. And these are things about who he is. Okay, Like for instance, the fact that he would be a descendant of Abraham. Right? But the scripture also says he would be a descendant of Jacob. Somebody want to look up Numbers 24, 17? Get a volunteer. Okay, Mike. That he would come from the tribe of Judah. That he would be of the family of Jesse. That he would be from the house of David. Listen, these are all things written in the Old Testament talking specifically about the Messiah. Here is the the Bible saying that the Messiah is going to be of the genealogy of Abraham, of Jacob, of Jesse, and of David. Right? And many times these things are are spoken uh, 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 long before they happen. Right? In fact, this whole Old Testament record was written hundreds, even thousands of years before Christ ever existed. Okay? So this is a very supernatural thing that's going on here. We're talking about prophecy here. We're talking about prophecies which are spoken before they happen in time and space. Okay? Specific example would be, I gave you that little uh, uh, type of Abraham which pointed to Christ. Abraham, the father, sacrificing his son, which we're going to look at that narrative, but I want you to see that as that thing foreshadowed the cross, do you realize that 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 thing happened some 2,000 years before Christ was ever born? These are supernatural things that are going on here. And you're going to be shocked and amazed when we look at some of that if you haven't already known those things. You have Numbers 24, 17. Just, yeah, that one verse. Okay. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in, in, in the course of the Old Testament narrative, you have these statements that get interjected that just seem to come from nowhere, if you will describing, okay, this Messiah. And as the narrative of the Old Testament goes on and on, it kind of becomes clearer and clearer and clearer so that at the later times of the Old Testament, these pictures of the Messiah are even clearer than they once were before. And I say clearer because they are somewhat vague. I mean, you read the narrative of Abraham and Isaac, and it doesn't say anything about Jesus, okay? But the theme of the whole story is a picture of what's happening with the Father and the Son. You with me? And so, if you will, as the New Testament writers told us, this gospel that is in Jesus Christ was a mystery that had been kept hidden for ages, but was now revealed to us by God's holy apostles and prophets. Amen? 
And so in the New Testament, these Old Testament mysteries are revealed for us. Nevertheless, we can look back at them now having that revelation knowledge of Christ and of the New Testament. We can look back at the Old Testament narratives and we can see all the details laid out for us there. And there's much to glean and much to learn from that. Okay, But you need to consider, these are prophecies. This is a very supernatural thing that's going on. The, some of these things are, are, are amazing to think that they could all come to pass with the accuracy that they have in Christ. But every one of these things has spoken of him. He was, in fact, a descendant of Abraham. He was, in fact, a descendant of Jacob. You know, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, right? But then some thousand years later, it's saying he'll come from the line of Jesse. You know who Jesse is, right? He's David, King David's dad, right? And then, um, and then it says that he will, he, will, um, uh, he will be from the house of David. And then when you open up the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, here it is, a genealogy taking us through the house of David, from the line of David right down to, to Jesus' parents. Right? And there's, in fact, there are two genealogies in the New Testament, one in the first chapter of of uh, Matthew and one in the first chapter of Luke. I believe it's in the first chapter of Luke. And one of those is a genealogy tracing Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, right? The other is a genealogy tracing Mary, who is Joseph's earthly mother, both of whom come from the house of David, okay? Very interesting things as you see the Bible tracing the genealogy of Christ. If you will, we have that whole list of messianic prophecies there. I would encourage you to go look at those. There are many others, okay? That's not an exhaustive list. That's just a few. And to think, family, that all of those have come to to, uh, fruition with perfect accuracy. Do you realize the odds of that just happening at random? It's absurd. The statistical odds of those prophecies coming to pass as they have is absurd to think that all of that could possibly happen at random. So here's these old guys in the Old Testament writing all these things down, and it just so happens that Jesus fulfills every one of those. It's, it's an amazing thing to consider. Many of you have done some study there and, and been amazed yourself at just how profound that is. Okay? So as we think about the narrative of the Old Testament, remember there's these types, there's these shadows, and there are these specific messianic prophecies that are speaking right to the fact of of who Jesus is. Now, I'm going to take you, and we're going to look at a few of those, so I'm not going to go through the whole list, but just show you a few examples, maybe some that are more prominent than others. Okay? But even Jesus himself spoke of the fact that the Old Testament scriptures bore witness to his coming. In John 5, he said this. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. Jesus said of the Old Testament scriptures that it was them, the scriptures, that bore witness of him. Luke also describes how Jesus taught the disciples on the road to Emmaus from the Old Testament, including Moses and the prophets, he said, the things concerning himself. You remember there after Jesus' resurrection, there's these guys walking on the road to Emmaus, right? And this stranger shows up and says, hey, fellas, what's happening? What's up, dog? Right? 
And, and so they, they say, what do you mean, what's up? They say to him, haven't you heard what's happened? Right? And, and of course, they're distraught because they're disciples of Jesus. And, and they're saying, you know, how these things happen and Jesus was killed in this tragic thing. And, and, uh, and Jesus says, oh, ye who are slow of heart to believe all that's written in the scriptures. Right? What's he saying to them? He's saying, guys, don't you have the Old Testament figured out yet? You've been studying this thing all your life. That's what he's saying to them, right? And you don't realize that that whole book is written about me, right? So then he says, Luke 24, 27, And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Amen? And somebody said, man, that must have been some Bible study. <laughs> Amen? Amazing to think. Here's the, here, 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 here is Christ Jesus himself, resurrected from the dead, explaining the Old Testament to the disciples. Profound, profound thing to consider. So in the New Testament, what I'm saying here, it's recognized that the Old Testament is bearing witness of Christ where even Jesus himself comes in his resurrected state and explains the Old Testament to these disciples, the things concerning himself. Okay? Where was he turning as he was explaining? What was he looking at in the narrative of the Old Testament that he would explain the things concerning himself? Does it come to your mind? Is it ready in your mind? What is it in the Old Testament which is concerning Christ? What is it in the Old Testament which is describing Christ? What is it in the Old Testament that Jesus would instruct us about to show us himself? Okay? Did you ever read the story of Jonah and consider that this was a sign? Are you with me? The sign that Jesus points to in his teaching, right? And, and if you will, I'm saying this is on every page of the Old Testament. It's on every page of the Bible. Okay? Because that word, that Old Testament narrative is living. It is active. It's the powerful word of God. Amen? You with me? It's filled with these supernatural revelations of Jesus Christ. Okay. The New Testament speaks in many places about the fact that the Old Testament pointed to Christ as the coming Redeemer. Here are a few. For instance, in Acts 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He, that is Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Here you find in the, in the New Testament an apostle rebuking the Jews and saying, you are the builders who rejected Christ, the stone. Right? The chief cornerstone. And, and, and there, the, the New Testament is taking by direct application these Old Testament realities and saying to the Jews, look, you are the ones who have fulfilled this very prophecy. Then in Galatians 3, 7 and 8, there Paul writing, he says, and the scripture, okay, that, by the way, family, is the Old Testament, Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. Now think about what's being said right there in Galatians uh, 3.8. Paul is saying that this quote, I believe that's from Genesis chapter 22, right about verse 20 or so. All the nations shall be blessed in you. And he's saying that that was the preaching of the gospel beforehand. Understand? Paul is drawing a direct correlation from Genesis 22 about the promise to Abraham of all nations being blessed. And he said that's the gospel being proclaimed beforehand. You see that? Then in Hebrews 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Just as he says also in another passage, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And there the writer to Hebrews, quoting from the Psalms, and bringing direct application of those quotes to Jesus himself, saying that Jesus is the very fulfillment of those Old Testament uh, uh, scriptures. Okay? And so here's this thing. The New Testament, and this is just a few, family. There are hundreds of these in the New Testament. Okay? The New Testament is bearing witness that the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. So when you think about the person of Christ, and when you're reading the Bible, open your eyes anew to see Christ in these places, in these ways. Okay, And if you're reading through the Old Testament, you're thinking, man, this is long and this is drawn out, and I can't understand what profit I'm getting from this. You need to stop right there. You need to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, there is a treasure in these words for me. There is a nugget for my soul. There is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in these words that I'm missing. Okay? Because he's there. He's there on every page. He's there in every word. The volume of the book is written of him. Amen? Uh, It's just been thrilling for me because I'm going to be talking about a few passages and I kind of dug into those a bit as I was preparing for this. And I thought, my God, I could spend the whole nine months teaching on these few short passages because there's so much there. It's unbelievable when you stop and you look and you consider how God has written into these narratives in the Old Testament the story of Christ. The story of this amazing plan of redemption is written all through that Old Testament narrative. It's unbelievable. So when we consider the storyline of the Old Testament, it is important that we see it as a unified whole, woven together with the New Testament and fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus Christ. He is the Old Testament Messiah who was promised by God to redeem his people and save them from death and suffering and usher in a kingdom which shall never be shaken. Okay? So here's what I'm saying. We need to see Christ in the Old Testament. We need to get our definition of Jesus the person from the Bible as a unified whole. Okay? We need to see Christ in the Bible, and that needs to be what our understanding of who Christ is. Okay? We're not just looking for some warm, fuzzy human explanation about Jesus. We're looking for the revelation of God in Christ in his word. Are you with me? Our understanding of Jesus must be a biblical understanding. And that's why I am emphasizing these points to you. 
So I want to show you just a few ways that this happens. And, and if you will, there is a section in the Old Testament which is called the Proto-Evangel. Okay? And what it means is the gospel before. Okay? And if you will, it is uh, recognized by Bible scholars as the first messianic prophecy in the whole Bible. And, of course, that appears in Genesis chapter 3. So throughout the Old Testament record, beginning at the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, the promise of a coming redeemer is woven into the biblical text. As soon as sin enters into the storyline, redemption becomes necessary as mankind is tragically separated from God by his sin and in a hopeless and desperate state. Okay, this was the fearful warning from God about eating from the tree. So now we're talking about family, just the first few pages of the Bible here. Okay, you read of the creation account, you read of the mighty power of God in creating the heavens and the earth, and then uh, on the sixth day, creating man and creating woman and, and placing them there in the garden. And it's, it's, it's just shortly right after that what happens, right? The fall. The fall of mankind happens right after the creation account. And, and right here, man falls into sin. Okay? And <clears throat> if you will, Genesis chapter 2, God had warned Adam. He said there in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Okay? Upon temptation from that liar, the cunning serpent, the woman and the man were deceived and ate from the tree. And sin entered into the world and all of the subsequent consequences and sufferings of mankind from that day followed. Hear what I'm telling you. Because Adam and Eve ate from that tree, all of the subsequent suffering of all of the ages of human history began at that point in time and space. Let me tell you how significant that is. God puts it on the first few pages of the Bible. And he's talking about our first parents. The first people who had any progeny in the world at all. Okay? Every one of us in this room is a cousin because we are all children of Adam. You understand? This is how significant this is. Adam and Eve fell by willfully sinning against God. Okay? And the promise of God, let me tell you, family, came true. He said, in the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. All right? Now I want you to think back on some 6,000 years of all of the suffering and the death and the pain and the sorrow that has come forth from that one willful act of sin. Let me tell you, sin is a dangerous thing. It will destroy you. Amen? You with me? You see that in this narrative of God's creation? Okay? It's because that sin exists that Christ must die. This is a very profound thing to consider. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, there in verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, You shall sure, surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Okay. Now you see in the scripture man's first attempt at religion. How many of you know what I mean? It's called a fig leaf. It's man attempting to cover the shame of his sin and the shame of his nakedness by his own works. Right? How many of you know that's not good enough for God? Right? It was right at that point in the biblical record that God enters with the promise of redemption. The gospel is first announced in Genesis 3.15 when God curses the serpent. And this is what he said. He said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is referred to as the proto-evangel or the first announcement of the good news in the Bible. Here the woman's seed is said to bruise the head of the serpent. Okay? Now think about what's, what's being said here. God is speaking to the devil. <laughs> and he says that the woman's seed is going to bruise his head. That's what he says. Now think about that. What's the problem? Problem. A woman doesn't have a seed. You with me? You with the Bible? Right? So what's going on? Well, something very supernatural. is Go ahead, go ahead tell us. What's going on, Joe? The virgin birth. Okay? This is the kind of thing that shows up in the Old Testament. There, there are things that God will say that are very supernatural. And you, 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 if you're just reading right by that, you don't see it. You need to stop and consider. You need to look to God for revelation. Okay? And that's how these things become apparent. Yes, Bill? that argument how do you deal with the second half of that verse it says the serpent will bruise his heel because the serpent had no ability to bruise Christ mm -hmm. so you're taking the first half and building that it's about Christ and the virgin birth but can, it, can that be true if it talks about the serpent will bruise his heel mm -hmm. which the serpent had no power to bruise Christ it didn't no it didn't but, but the progeny of Christ has been under the domain of sin for thousands of years, right? Of course, there are many, many things that could be said in commentary to that, none of which I'm prepared to give, but I'd be happy to put together a, uh, a uh, list of things that uh, would be in fulfillment of that. So I'll do that. Uh, <clears throat> but as we, so uh, I guess the point there is that maybe that's not a, a gospel announcement. Well, I'm just asking if it is, how do you marry the two? Uh-huh. Because there's two parts to that. So the answer to my question would be, how does the Bible marry the two? Right. And, and that's what I, I will seek right. to present to you. Um, but furthermore, then, um, 
many, uh, let's see, this is actually a very profound thought as a woman is, does not have a seed. That is a male function. Many believe this is none other than a prophecy of the virgin birth of Christ. In any case, here we have the temptation of man being avenged by Eve's own child, and this we know for sure is carried out by Jesus Christ on the cross. He's the only one, if you will, who has bruised the head of the serpent in history. Amen? Amen. Well, so uh, we're going to end here, but if you will, I want to ask you, if you'll look on the coming pages, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, page 6, Five, six, and seven. I've I've picked out four Old Testament narratives that I want to just go through with you really briefly. The first one is Genesis chapter 22. That's the story of Abraham's testing, where God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. Then also uh, the Passover account, which is in Exodus chapter 12. Then also Psalm 22, and then lastly Isaiah 53. These are narratives in the Old Testament uh, that I just want to look at with you briefly and help you to see Christ in these passages so that when you're reading throughout the whole Old Testament narrative, your eye will be kind of trained to pay attention. Where is it in this thing that there is these glories of Christ being revealed? Okay, And so I want to ask you, would you please this week go read Genesis chapter 22 and um, Exodus chapter 12, and uh, Psalm 22, and Isaiah 53. It's really not a whole lot of reading, but it is an amazing thing. And uh, if you will, as you're reading through that narrative, think about how in the narrative, for instance, of Genesis 22 and, and Abraham, as these words are unfolding for you, consider how those things are pointing to realities about Christ. Okay? And you'll see how this story just comes alive with this idea that it is a type or a typical prophecy of the Messiah who is to come. You with me? Okay. All right. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We ask, God, that you would uh, open our eyes anew to see Christ in the pages of the Old Testament. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn so much more of our dear Savior in those words. And I pray that it would be food for our soul and that, God, we would treasure your word like nothing else. I pray, Lord, that you would show us amazing and wonderful things from your holy law. We thank you for the privilege that we can hold this in our hands, Lord, that we we have each day that we can read it and that, Lord, we can boldly come before your throne because of the blood of Christ. And that there, Lord, you will give us understanding. And that, Lord, we can grow in this love relationship that we have with you. And in fact, Lord, we can fulfill the purpose for which we were made. To love you with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. We do praise you this day and thank you because of Jesus' holy cross. Amen. Amen.